We are just under a month away from the 2023 NBA draft, and I think I've identified my three favorite early prospects for the Sacramento Kings at that 24 range, even if likely two or maybe all three of them might be gone by the time the Sacramento Kings make a selection. Here to help me break down the games of those three, plus talk to us a little bit about what the draft combine is like in Chicago. Leif Thulin from the Locked On NBA Big Board. He joins me right here on Locked On Kings. You are Locked On Kings, your daily Sacramento Kings podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And now, ladies and gentlemen, it is that time. Time for another episode of Locked on Kings. Hello and welcome into Locked on Kings, your podcast hub for Sacramento Kings coverage all off season long. Today's episode is brought to you by Bird Dogs. Go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA. And when you enter promo code locked on NBA, they'll throw in a free custom Bird Dogs Yeti style tumbler with every order. My name is Matt George. I have the privilege of being your host here. I'm a Sacramento sports reporter and producer for ABC 10 News. And let it be known, let it be made very, very clear. I am not an expert by any means on the NBA draft and NBA draft prospects. Every once in a while, whether it's in our Locked On NBA mock drafts or just in my assessment uh, of uh, of prospects, I get things right. Like I was very, very heavy on the Keegan Murray hype train last offseason. If you were listening back then, you would have heard, heard, heard me say, God, I, I probably spent 10 or more episodes in the buildup to the draft saying Keegan Murray is the guy. This is why the Kings need to take him over Jaden Ivey, blah, 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 blah. I celebrated on draft night uh, when the Kings selected Keegan. That doesn't make me a draft expert. I got that pick right, or at least I think I'm 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 more than justified in, in taking a victory lap when it comes to that pick. But I'm not going to stand here on some pedestal and pretend to be an absolute banger of a draft analyst, right? So these are top three, uh, the top three players very early, and they're probably going to change, but these are the top three players based off of conversations that I've had both on and off the record, watching film, film, watching like tape and and, and old games and stuff that I could find online and stuff like that. Like it's, these are the three players that I think, uh, or that I personally would like the Sacramento Kings to grab, or if they ended up in Sacramento with the 24th pick in the draft that I would be happy with. I'm not going to spoil them ahead of time. You're going to hear them in this conversation uh, with Leaf, who again is from the Locked On NBA Big Board. He's working uh, on the Locked On um, Jazz podcast right now. Uh, He's a really, really, really bright uh, basketball analyst has, has devoted his life, like so many of these locked on big board guys, have just devoted so much of their time to covering uh, the uh, like basketball year round and the latest prospects, not just here in the United States and the NCAA, but uh, those in like internationally as well in international pools. He just got back from Chicago for the NBA draft combine. So we're actually going to start our conversation talking a little bit about the combine, uh, what it's like, like what he's looking for specifically, who jumped off the page to him. And then we'll jump into the three guys that I have and, and at least one, but probably two out of the three of them won't really surprise you. 
based off of past Locked on Kings podcasts. But without any further ado, uh, here is my conversation with Leif Thulin. As our draft coverage continues, what do the Sacramento Kings do with the 24th overall pick? I think at this point in time, I've narrowed it down to my three top or favorite prospects for the Sacramento Kings at 24. We're going to dive into that as I am happy to be joined by Leif Thulin from uh, the Locked On NBA Big Board podcast. He was just over in Chicago for the uh, the NBA Draft Combine. Leaf, welcome into Locked On Kings for the first time, my friend. Hope you're doing well. It's a pleasure to have you, uh, and I hope the Combine was good for you. Yeah, thanks for having me, and the Combine was super fun. I mean, people like me who just love basketball, it's a, it's it's busy, but it's it's really fun, and got to spend some time with, with some people I work with on Locked On NBA Big Board and get to know them and just absorb myself in, in basketball, which was which was a blast. Walk me through a little bit. What does a day at the draft combine look like? Yeah, so uh, Monday was was drills and, and some athletic testing. Tuesday, no basketball was played. That was the day of the lottery. Um, it was just a bunch of networking. And honestly, I thought that was the most exhausting day because while you're there to watch basketball, you're just talking basketball all day. And you're meeting people and, and they're asking what you do. But more importantly, from my perspective, it was asking what these people do, trying to gain perspectives on how they evaluate. And it was very cool. I mean, uh, because we work for Locked On Podcasting, we were recording plenty of podcasts and doing stuff for the lottery. So it was busy in terms of work as well. And then Wednesday and Thursday, there were scrimmages. So there's two scrimmages each day. Uh, You get to see pro days after that. So the afternoons were chock full of basketball. I I have my notebook right here with all my notes on – on all the all the scrimmages, all the players pro days, and it's really really fun. It's just at a certain point you've hit a level of man. I've been talking and watching basketball for eleven hours today, <laughs> and then you go to bed and you repeat. And it's not something I would I would say is hard, but it's you gain an appreciation for the people who do this every year and make their livelihood making the decisions that they base off the information from the combine. Yeah, this past year, I had the opportunity to cover uh, the Summer League in Las Vegas for the first time ever. And it was a, the way I explained it or described it, it's almost like a basketball festival. It's just basketball being played and a bunch of uh, big names coming in to kind of get together uh, during the middle of summertime in between the seasons to uh, to, to just talk hoops, play hoops, enjoy hoops. So I imagine the combine is similar in a lot of ways, but different scouts and different teams are obviously looking for different things. But when you're scouting talent and when you're looking at talent, whether it was at their pro days, it was during the scrimmages or even during their, uh, uh, just their individual drills, what specifically are you looking for? Is it any like specific skill sets, like wingspan? Like what are you looking for in a good, uh, top NBA prospect? Yeah. The shame is that the top, top guys don't, don't play that they will soon in, in years to come. Um, so what I'm looking for is is traits for the most part. Like uh, is someone quicker, uh, twitchier than I than I realized from watching them play on TV? Uh, does someone shoot the ball differently up close than how you saw it on TV, whether for positive or negative? Um, I think it was easier to see who's good on defense than it was on offense. Uh, you you can see I'll use an example: Reese Beekman, a guard from Virginia, uh, defensively was ACC Player of the Year. And then you you knew he was going to be good defensively, but now he's playing against the best athletes of the college basketball world, now trying to make the NBA, and he still looked the exact same defensively. So you, you can buy like, that translating. You can buy 
uh, shooting translating, a guy named Tristan Vukcevic, who had a he's a six ten stretch forwards, probably a five, honestly. As soon as he touched the ball, the ball would go up in the air and it was silky smooth. So there, there's things that are obvious like that. And then there's little things you you watch a play and you're like, oh man, if they could cultivate that, this team could really be interested. And so you look at athleticism, you look at minor things, and, and it is guesswork. I mean, I think it's educated guesswork is really what it is. And one of my recent podcasts, while well, taking over for Locked on Jazz, I, I went through the history of the picks um, that Danny Ainge is regarded as one of the better executives, general managers there's been. And there are a fair share of misses. Like, as good as they get, there are a fair share of misses. So uh, it was my first time, and I'm sure I'm not alone in saying that, okay, this guy showed well, and then he'll be bad in the NBA or or vice versa. He was terrible at the combine, and he was good in the NBA. So there's guesswork, but it's educated guesswork. We know a thing or two about draft misses here in Sacramento, so uh, it's a complete understanding there. Well, let me ask you this, Leaf, before we move on to the, the three prospects that I've really narrowed down. To you, like, were there any names, kind of to your point here, any names that really impressed you or jumped off the page or you left Chicago circling or saying, like, I think that guy is going to be really good or I would want that guy on my team? I, I think there were a few guys that, that moved up. Uh, one from a pro day would be Keontae George. Uh, I think he shot the best of anyone that I saw play at a pro day. Um, so that one, from just a workout standpoint, from the actual games, I thought – I mentioned Reese Beekman made it moved himself up. I think Dylan Mitchell, a guy from Texas who came in with large hype to Texas, put up very pedestrian numbers, uh, showed some flashes that make teams interested. Uh, Olivier Maxence Prosper from Marquette, who's an upperclassman who really developed this this year, had a really nice showing the first day of scrimmages, didn't play the second, which is typically a good sign. And then I mentioned Tristan Vukcevic, uh, really shot the ball well. And I would say the last one would be Amari Bailey from UCLA. Uh, I think he was already trending upward towards the end of the season, but I think he solidified that trend being being true as opposed to just like something people wanted to feel because he was quick. None of those guys uh, in the top three of that I've narrowed down for the Sacramento Kings at 24, and that's okay. And the three, I'm, I'm going in no particular order. It's not like I have them labeled one, two, three yet. I've just kind of pinpointed these three as guys based off of conversations that I've had here on Locked On, conversations that I've had uh, off the record. Three that I like and could see fitting and helping ultimately what the Sacramento Kings are trying to do. The first one is Derek Lively, uh, the, the center out of Duke. Um, I was talking to Rafael Barlow about he thinks his draft stock is going up because he's shown an ability to shoot, stretch the floor, especially hitting corner threes, uh, even though he didn't do that a lot at Duke. I like his natural rim protection as a seven-footer. He's not going to come in and, and start by any means next to DeMontis Sabonis, so I'm not necessarily worried about that fit aspect. The Kings need rim protection. They've they've had no rim protection, period, over the last handful of seasons, and Lively could potentially be someone who could come in, and, and even though... He's not going to be expected to play a lot of minutes. He can come in and at least make an immediate em- impact in that area. What do you think about Derek Lively as a prospect? Then I'll ask you about fit with Sacramento, but just prospect to start. Yeah, I think Lively is trending upward. Uh, I Personally, I'd be surprised if he's there at 24. Me too. Because I, I think he's a guy that uh, has the traits that make you good in the NBA for, you know, centers are becoming phased out sort of what, sort of speak. Like you have to have a trait that makes you uh, stand out to be a center. Like Walker Kessler stood in for the jazz and he was excellent defensively. Mark Williams at the end of the year for the Hornets came in and was very good defensively. And I think he could emulate their success by being so good defensively that even though he doesn't possess great on the block skills, 
can't truly stretch the floor. I think he's getting better, and I think he could. But coming out of college, you, you didn't see it. So his where he's going to hang his hat is going to be the traditional rim-protecting energy big. And I think there's more value to that than people would now tell you because so much emphasis is watching Jokic, watching Sabonis, and watching them be creative offensively. That's not what Lively's going to do. He's going to be an energy big who's going to rebound. He's going to block shots. And I think he's a tremendous athlete. Like, I think he's a better athlete than even Mark Williams was coming out of Duke last year when in the top 15. And at the end of the year, was very good for the Hornets. So I wouldn't be surprised if I see Lively go in the top 15. And if he should he fall to Sacramento, I think that's a no-brainer pick. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat with you. Again, these these prospects are more based off of ideal fit for Sacramento and less the likelihood of them being there at 24. I personally don't think the Kings are in a position where they're going to really consider trading to move up unless they really fall in love with a guy, which is what they'd probably have to do to land a guy like Derek Lively. So even though it may be not realistic that Lively end up in Sacramento, I think he's a good fit for for a lot of the reasons that you just uh you just listed. Um, in terms of player comp, like I know player comps can sometimes get people in trouble and make people roll their eyes. I've seen a lot of Willie Cauley Stein player comps when it comes to Derek Lively, which we know very well in Sacramento, Willie Cauley Stein didn't necessarily work out and he certainly didn't work out as a rim protector. He actually went away from defense and rim protection and more focused on his offense as his career went on. Um, what I'm hoping with Derek Lively is he could be like a late career Brooke Lopez type player where he's that rim protection, that rebounding, but someone who can space the floor, maybe not shoot the ball as well as Brooke Lopez does, but that type of player is exactly what the Sacramento Kings can be or, or Sacramento, uh, what the Sacramento Kings need. Do you think that there is some Brooke Lopez now, not early Brooke Lopez, but Brooke Lopez now in Derek Lively's game? Uh, I'd hesitate to, to say so just because I, I, there's a lot of people who can shoot a basketball in an open gym. Yeah, and I and I do buy that he can shoot. Like I think his form looks good. Um, I've I've watched it closely, but but Lopez is really shooting the ball well. Um, Brooke Lopez is also a strict drop coverage big, meaning that when he's defending screens, that he's dropping into the paint and he's trying to protect the rim only. I think Derek Lively's got more defensive versatility than Lopez. I think he might be able to slide his feet a little bit on the perimeter and then drop back and recover. Uh, I think drop coverage will be his primary coverage, but I think he's going to be more versatile in that regard sooner than Brooke Lopez developed into being renowned as a defender. And I also think Brooke Lopez has greatly benefited from having Drew Holiday and Giannis to help him kind of funnel right to him. Uh, I, I, if there's a comparison, I mentioned Mark Williams. And I know that's lazy because he's his predecessor at Duke, but I, but I really do think there's some valuable uh, comparisons here. Mark Williams' first year at Duke, he came out as a sophomore, if people uh, remember. His first year, his end of his year was dominant, and Duke made a really impressive run, ended up having COVID, uh, and, and Duke's season ended. But at the end of the year, Derek Lively this year pushed Duke. When Derek Lively played well, Duke played well. And then Duke made a strong run and was considered one of the better teams in college basketball, top 10 by just about every metric. And I think the reason I think they're similar is Derek Lively is long, runs very well, shows better touch than he advertised in college, but he played with a loaded team, so the ball wasn't going to him. So I think he's got more offensive game than people think, and defensively he can both rim protect, slide a little bit, and he's got recovery traits that not all bigs do. Last question I have about Derek Lively is in terms of immediate impact, the Sacramento Kings are trying to win now, and that's a position that they're not normally in when it comes to the draft, although they were in last year, and, and Keegan Murray ended up being the right prospect, but 
But for Lively to be 19 years old coming into the league, how much, how fair is it to expect if a, if a winning team drafts him, how fair is it to expect him to be able to make some sort of immediate impact as a rotation player? Uh, that, that's tough because he'd be asked to be the, the defense uh, in a second unit for the Kings. Uh, he wouldn't, I don't think he'd start with Sabonis. So yes, I think he can make an impact in the sense that he'll be playing an event and you'll see some of that talent defensively. I think offensively, it'll be harder for him immediately. I think defensively he'll, he'll adapt well, but it's hard to ask someone on a, on a team with playoff aspirations. That was a three seed in the West this year to, to make a huge impact. So I think he could be a solid backup big immediately and develop into more. Um, but it's hard to be like, okay, well, I, I want our defense transformed. Um, so I, I don't think you should place those lofty expectations, but I think you'll you'll get a solid backup big fairly quickly. Today's episode of the Locked on Kings podcast is brought to you by Bird Dogs. And when I tell you these are the most comfortable and versatile shorts and pants that you can find, I'm not over-exaggerating. These are pants and shorts that I wear all the time. The shorts specifically, I love to bust out uh, during the spring and summertime months. They're also great shorts uh, to go and golf in, which is really where I use them the most because they look good. They they fit that like golf style uh, and that kind of golf level of, of like, what's the word I'm looking for? Elegance or, or that just that fit, that nice look while also being versatile, comfortable, not too hot. It's about fit, comfort, and versatility when you wear uh, bird dog shorts or bird dog's pants. They're going to fit you the right way. And look, for someone like me, if you've seen me in person, you know I'm built like a, a, a goalpost, right? I'm super tall, super thin. So to find uh, pants and shorts that, that fit my waist but have the appropriate length, especially pants, that can be difficult. But bird dog's pants are the best fitting pants that I've been able to find period for someone who's built like me and they have a wide variety of ranges and sizes for whatever uh, you might need plus the comfort like I mentioned uh, it feels like sometimes you're just moving around and there's nothing even there uh, you're not going to get overly hot and sweat in these pants or shorts uh, in the summer months and the versatility like I talked about being able to move around and play a game uh, of golf go to birddogs.com slash locked on NBA when you enter promo code locked on NBA they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs yeti style tumbler that you can also take to the golf course with every order go and get yourself a pair of these shorts or pants to try cash in on the tumbler as well and let me know how well and how comfortable they fit you that's birddogs.com all right moving on to the second prospect this is a name very popular in sacramento because of his brother chris murray uh another guy that might not be there at 24 i see him moving up boards more than i see him moving down i see him mostly in like the late teens to very very early 20s uh but what do you think about chris murray as a prospect he's an interesting one because his appeal is that he's got a high floor uh he's projectable and so if he slides further down a board 224 for instance uh, you could make an argument that's a really good pick because you're going to get a guy who shoots the ball well. You're going to get a guy who's going to rebound. And I think he's a little overrated defensively, but most people would say he'll be able to defend. He won't be locked down, but he's able to defend. I, I have my I have my slight worries about his defense. But if you're going to get a 6'9 guy who can shoot the ball pretty well and he'll rebound, and most people are going to be okay with that at 24. No matter, he's not going to be what his brother is. Keegan's a better athlete, but uh, I think that there's a, a real appeal of that pick. And obviously the tie is the twin brothers. 
And so I, I don't know if he's there because I think there's going to be people that pick like in the top 20 that say, well, we got a projectable player. I spoke with an agent while I was in Chicago and he, he represents uh, Chris Murray and, and a guy named Kobe Brown. And he talked about how both of them are, are similar players because they're going to shoot the ball very, very well. And they're going to compete defensively. And that's what kind of what role players are asked to do right now. So that that's my pitch for why he's probably a good pick. I just don't know if he's there. Is there a question of redundancy though? You're absolutely right. Like he's, he's not Keegan. If he were Keegan, he, we'd be talking about him as a top five prospect and that's okay. The Kings are looking at him, or at least I'd be looking at him from a King's perspective of a three and D rotational player that once again, like you said, with the higher floor being older can make an immediate impact right away. And especially for a team like Sacramento, you can't have enough of those guys necessarily, but the question of redundancy you have already a lot of what Chris Murray brings in Keegan, or at least you think you do. Do you need another somewhat worse copy and pasted version of Keegan Murray just coming in off your bench? I don't think it would hurt you. I, I, uh, I think there's a certain place for players like that in the NBA. I think if you look at the teams that have made it far in the playoffs, they've all got guys that come off the bench and knock down threes and are, are eager and willing to rebound and defend. So I, I wouldn't say that that's an archetype that you, you'd complain about redundancy for. Uh, that said, I think a lot of these teams prioritize athleticism later in the first round. And the Kings have athleticism in spades in some positions, and in others, they're less athletic. So maybe, to me, I'd pursue someone with more athletic upside um, that, that could you know help the second unit and maybe develop into more. That said, I, I wouldn't complain about getting a guy that I think is projectable at 24. You said you think Chris is a little overrated as a defender. What is it about uh, his defense that, that makes you feel that way? Uh, I came across this stat earlier today, and it really solidified my my thoughts of just watching a ton of college basketball. So for typically, if you're a good defender and you're as big as he is, you're going to get a lot of steals. Like Keegan got a lot of steals. Um, a common word tossed around analytics is stocks, steals, and blocks. Chris Murray's steal percentage is under 2%. And uh, for reference, that typically like 5% is a pretty good barometer, mm -hmm. but under 2 is pretty low for someone that big. So I think in the Big Ten, he was asked to play a little bigger, like less on the perimeter, so maybe that's part of it. So I'll contextualize it. But I, but I do think athletically – if you're going to be good enough to be picked in the top 20, like a lot of people advertise him to be, you typically are going to defensively have more stocks, steals and blocks than he does. Um, that said, I mean, he, he actually has 1.2 blocks per game. So I, I, I mean this specifically about steals. That's just kind of the way I typically orient it. Um, I don't think he's a rim protector at the NBA level, so I th I'm more concerned about the steals. And defensively, I think he's kind of, like knows where to be, knows how to play college defense. I'm curious to see how he adapts to the NBA where guys are faster and they're less predictable and where they're going to go on the big 10. It's just feed the post, kick back out, rotate. And, you know, so I, I, I don't know. I, I like, I think he could be fine. I think he's got the work ethic. He's got the intangibles to be good, but that is an alarmingly known low number for me. Did you attend his pro day? Because I saw on social media that he he seemed to be very popular with his pro. I mean, these all these guys are, but he seemed to have a lot of uh, uh, scouts at his pro day, garnered a lot of interest, and seemed to have a really good pro day based off of what I was reading and what I was seeing. Were you there? And 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 is that typical, or is that just kind of pre-draft hype? Uh, I was not at his. I, I believe he did it off campus. 
so a couple players did it off campus. I was at just about everyone that was on campus. Um, I, I think it is, it, it's honestly a fair assessment. I don't know exactly what's been written, but I could tell you, you can feel when it, when an arena feels that the guy's doing it well in the pro day versus when they're like, Oh man, this, this is unfortunate. He's not shooting the ball. Well, because I saw a few of those were guys that I was high on and, all of a sudden they're missing like four straight jump shots. And you're like, okay, well that's, that's strange. He's, he's against air right now. Um, so if he shot well, I, I bet you it's, it's true that he, he had a good pro day, but I kind of expect those guys to shoot well because they're going to be in the NBA. Like you're supposed to shoot well. This episode of the Lockdown Kings podcast is also brought to you by our friends over at FanDuel. Make a fast break to FanDuel right now during the NBA playoffs. New customers, you can get a no sweat first bet up to one thousand dollars the way a no sweat first bet works it's basically like an insurance policy for the first time uh, you make a bet on FanDuel but also it's it's made to encourage you to stick around and keep playing what FanDuel doesn't want is for you to come let's say you deposit uh fifty dollars and, and you show up at the website you put that fifty dollars down on, on an NBA finals game or some uh like prop bet and you lose and then you're out of money and you close the website, you never go back again. They don't want that. So what a no sweat first bet does is you can win up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your bet does not win. So you're either going to win that bet and then you double your money or however much, uh, whatever the line is, and you're off to a great start and already in the green, or you'll get these bonus bets that will help you get back into the green and allow you to keep playing, keep having fun, and hopefully keep making money. There's no better place to bet on all the playoff action than America's number one sports book. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, the official sports betting partner of the NBA. The last uh, on my list is someone definitely more in the Kings range. If anything on a lot of mocks has them a bit lower than the Kings range. And that's uh that's Maxwell Lewis out of Pepperdine. Now I've gotten conflicting kind of feelings, vibes about Maxwell Lewis. I've had people th- saying they think he's going to be really, really good. I've had people say he was the top scorer at Pepperdine, put up good numbers, but that team didn't win anything. And if he was that good, that team would have had a little more success. Where are you at with Maxwell Lewis as a prospect? Yeah, I've got conflicting feelings about him as well because early in the year, he had an amazing start. And everyone was like, man, this guy could be a lottery pick. So I started watching with that expectation in mind. I was like, okay, I don't know if he's quite got quite the traits, the the athleticism, because he wasn't like athletically blowing by people in the WCC. And with the exception of Gonzaga, and I guess you can throw in St. Mary's because St. Mary's is really, really good fundamentally, defensively, but they're not crazy athletic. You should be blowing by people. Um, but he scores with guile, which is something I I appreciate for someone like that's a role player. But it was felt like he should be doing more against the competition he was playing. But I heard I didn't go to this pro day. This was off campus. But Rafael Barlow gave a rave review yep. uh, about about how good Maxwell Lewis. He came back in. He was late to one of the scrimmages. Coming back and he goes. And we were like, where were you? And he, and he goes, Maxwell Lewis is going to be a star. That was that was exactly what he said. So I, I'm going to watch some more film on him. Right now, I've got him about 21 on my board. Um, I haven't finalized it, but this is someone that I think in play for the Blazers, the Kings, 23-24. That range, should he be there, is worth taking a flyer on. Develop, cultivate what he has, because what he has are traits that can be very good. You just got to see if he's got the ability to incorporate them at the NBA level. And I think the Kings would be a really nice landing spot for him because there'd be less pressure right away because there are guys who can score. 
so he could learn and not have this pressure to score right away if he were on like a bad team. So I think that would be a really good pick for the Kings. I'm glad you said that, and let's build upon that a little bit. If I were if I were where the Sacramento Kings normally are, let's say the Kings are end of the lottery, like 14, 15 range, like Maxwell would be someone who I was a little maybe reserved or concerned about because you see the upside, but I'm also trying to find someone that, that could potentially be a franchise changer versus a team in the 24th spot like the Sacramento Kings are. Again, they're looking for someone who could not just help them short-term, but obviously develop into something long-term who brings in a skill set that you see has upside, but you're not putting it all on their shoulders right away and saying you need to be something right now, right now, right now. Do You I, you kind of just alluded to that or, or, or talked about this a little bit. Do you think that's a landing destination where Maxwell Lewis not necessarily has to end up, but where he'll mo- he's most likely to thrive? It's an interesting question because, yes, I think it would be better for him to be brought along slowly at his own pace. But most likely to thrive, there's a chance if he's really going to hit and he's got that ability – Maybe it's the team that gives him the most chance mm. to to flourish right away. Mm-hmm. So I think there's two views to that. And uh, I don't know exactly which team is the one that's going to let him flourish if he does flourish. But, uh, but I think it's easier for a guy to develop and at least be a solid player uh, in a situation like what the Kings have now than what it would have been a few years ago where they're like, okay, well, you're, you're our pick. Now pressure's on. And if you've got it, you've got it. But uh but I, 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 I'm torn. I'm, I'm of two minds for that question because sometimes all you need is a situation to show what you can do, and all of a sudden you're, you're doing really well. Like here's a weird example, but it popped in my head. Malachi Branham. Spurs were terrible. Mm-hmm. Malachi Branham had a few months where he was really, really good. Um, so maybe, maybe if you gave a similar situation in a very poor environment, he'd, he'd make himself some money by saying, "Well, look at me. I look what I'm doing already." But, but I think it's safer for someone to go to a situation like Sacramento. Maxwell is going to be 21 by the time the season starts. So uh, spent a couple of years in, in college coming in as a sophomore. Um, what about defensively, though? Like we see the scoring upside, but if let's say the Sacramento Kings take him, he's not cracking the rotation if he's not playing defense in Mike Brown's system, even though the Kings were a bad defensive team last year and they're trying to improve on that still individually, you have to hold your own defensively. If you're lost defensively, it doesn't matter who you are. Mike Brown's going to pull you out. What do you think about Maxwell Lewis is someone who could take to the defensive side of the NBA pretty quickly as a rookie? I'd imagine that's where the struggles are more than offense because he wasn't a very good defender in the WCC. Like, just quite frankly, he wasn't. Uh, I attribute most of that to boredom. Mm. And I'm not saying that as in like, wow, this guy doesn't care. It's just that when you're tasked with that much of a role offensively, it's hard to play defense with as much intensity. And so I think there's going to be a learning curve where defense is probably what keeps him on the floor in the NBA early. Should he be on the Kings? Uh, Because they have scorers, like I mentioned. So even though his appeal to me is upside as a, tall rangy creator uh early in his career he's gonna have to learn to defend and i think that will long term help his holistic chances of being a very good basketball player i think he's got more chance to be a good good player than uh than do a lot of the guys selected 18 to 30 like if he's in that range i think he's got a higher upside than just about all of them i just think that immediately defense will be a concern for him more than a lot of those guys 
Where do you put him in the group of small forwards outside of like the top, top guys like the, the like Bryce Sensabaugh or Derek Whitehead or Leonard Miller? Like where is where is Maxwell Lewis in that group of four players? Because most people seem to have him at three or four. Uh, I of those four players, I have him at four. Uh, I, I'm on my big board right now. I've got Leonard Miller, someone I'm very high on. I have him number 13. At number 18, I have Bryce Sensabaugh. At number 21, I have Derek Whitehead. And at number 22, I have Maxwell Lewis. So I, I, they're not separated by much. but mm-hmm. And the one thing about Derek Whitehead is is he's dealing with injuries. So I I would not be surprised if he falls down the draft and he can falls down my board according to what kind of the, what you hear. Just because I think Derek Whitehead's a better player. I think he's more projectable. But if he can't play because he's injured and he lose, loses athleticism, that really changes the actual player. Um, but that's not a knock to Maxwell Lewis. I just think that those guys are guys whose archetypes I very much value in the NBA. And he is as well. I mean, 22 is not a bad spot to be. Who, who do you have at 24 on your board, out of curiosity? Uh, Jordan Hawkins from Connecticut. Very good shooter. Best shooter in the class to me, but I don't think he does a ton with uh with the ball in his hands nor is he a great defender that's the the uh, for people who say i'm too low i could be but if you want to check my twitter i've been talking about jordan hawkins for three years so for people who want the receipts there there they are i'll uh we'll wrap up with this in terms of whether you know the sacramento king situation or not but guys that you think in that late teens to mid-20s realm that you think have high upside or you think are going to be really really good that maybe I didn't have on my board or we haven't already talked about, like who do you think fits that mold? Yeah, I've got, I've got a couple of them for you. So uh, I'll, I'll give you two French, two French guys actually that, uh, that I think are interesting. One would be CD Sissoko yep. from the G league Ignite. He's a guard who is really big. He's very strong. He's one of the guys that I thought shot poorly at the combine, but should, should like, should he have shot well? I think he could have been a lottery pick. So that means he's got real ops, uh, upside. And there was stretches where he had multiple 20-point games in a row in the G League against grown men. Um, I think Rayon Rupert, maybe you can even throw three French guys. Bilal Koulibaly are, are guys with upside that are athletic and need to cultivate their skills. Rupert is a 7-3 wingspan, 6-7 wing, whose shot is pretty rickety right now. But uh, he's very young. He's played professional basketball. Koulibaly, I honestly don't know enough about yet because he played with Wembenyama, put up pedestrian stats, but he's six foot six, slashes, and looks very athletic with good shooting strokes. So typically, I don't like foreign players with little production, but I, I there's at least intrigue. And the last one I've got for you is an interesting one. Uh, Bobby Clintman from, uh, from Wake Forest. He's an international guy. He didn't put up great numbers at Wake Forest, but he's exactly what the NBA wants right now. He's long, has a beautiful shooting stroke, rebounds the ball, and plays unselfishly. Uh, so those are some guys that I, I understand the question was uh, have upside that you may not have thought about. So I may have gone a little more into the sleeper realm than, uh, than you were anticipating. But these are, I would say, three of those four guys, I think, will be first-round picks. And if you'd asked a lot of people a couple months ago, I don't think anyone would have thought that. So... I don't see a reason why at 24, one of those guys isn't on the table. 
Well, for the first time in a long time, the Kings are in a position where they can take a swing for a sleeper and don't have to put uh, everything on his shoulders right away, coming in to be a savior of a team that has not made the playoffs in almost two decades. Leaf, I appreciate you so much, my friend. Thank you for coming on for the first time. Thanks for uh, lending your expertise, especially fresh off the uh, the, the combine and all the work you put in over there. Uh, keep up the great work that you're doing as the guest host over at Locked On Jazz right now and the uh, all the work that you do on Locked On NBA Big Board, my friend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Big thank you to Ganda Leaf for joining me here on the Locked On Kings podcast. Coming up on tomorrow's podcast, it's kind of jumbled. I'm going to have a, a couple different topics, but one of the topics that I want to talk about is Jordy Fernandez, Sacramento Kings associate head coach, essentially the, the lead assistant to Mike Brown. Jordy is a finalist for the Phoenix Suns job. And while it's a great thing that Kings coaches are being considered for other positions. And Mike Brown has said that two or three of them deserve to be head coaches in other places. And that's good for the organization that others want a piece of what the Sacramento Kings are doing. I also want to fly to Phoenix, Arizona and, and personally defend Jordy Fernandez and make sure that nobody takes him away from Sacramento. Of course, it would be great for Jordy, but I don't want what's great for Jordy. I want what's great for the Kings. And what's great for the Kings is having Jordy Fernandez still in Sacramento. So I'll talk about that amongst a couple other topics on tomorrow's Locked on Kings podcast. So I hope you will join me for that. Until then, my name is Matt George. Please send me your favorite prospects. If you have a top three, a top one, whoever it might be, if you hate my prospect list, send it to me at MattGeorgeSack on Twitter. Email me MattGeorgeSports at gmail.com or leave your thoughts in the YouTube comment section down below. Until next time, I'll talk to you very, very soon. You've been listening to the Locked On Kicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.